0: Hello and welcome to Telling the Unknown, episode number 16, our continued podcast discussing uh, African Americans in different places, but also the uh, telling of our our wonderful guest, uh, the Dr. Roosevelt Rick Wright Jr. I'm your host, Ruben Wright, and thank you for joining us once again. Uh, So uh, without further ado, I'm going to let my guest take over because we're going to take a slight uh, little um, detour into a new topic, uh, discussing more of his life and really starting off in the early days of his uh, life. I guess not even really career, life would be more uh, an opportune uh, word to use. Uh, So let's start right off and let's get right into it. Well, Ruben, thanks a lot for inviting me again to be on your great uh,
1: radio broadcast, i.e. podcast, on this uh, wonderful last day of the month of May in the year 2019. Today is the 31st of May. The other day, Ruben, you were discussing uh, your undergraduate studies at Syracuse University and talking about your next plan, which could be graduate school and what might that major be in. And- basically asking some good, beautiful questions with regards to your academic career on the college level, undergraduate and graduate level, as you go into your senior year here at uh, Syracuse and Syracuse University. And what I thought, I mean, we've been talking about the military, we've been all over the board, but got so many topics and areas to discuss with you. And for your great audience listening, I thought I would basically give sort of a chronology of my background, my life in the world of education and schools, and give you an opportunity in this audience to hear some names of some great African-American teachers and professors uh, from, in my case, kindergarten, all the way up to Ph.D. studies at Syracuse University. So um, I might entitle this segment uh, Educational Growth and the Journey Through Education uh, with Dr. Rick Wright, your dad. Well, again, as we have mentioned earlier, but let me just get this ring really succinctly focused by saying I was born in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, July 24th, 1943, right at the height of World War II. Your grandfather, Mr. Roosevelt R. Wright Sr., is dad, and your grandmother, Ms. Lily May Wright, brought me into the world at 4.30 on a Saturday afternoon in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. And, of course, I don't remember it. <laughs> but I do remember the house, uh, 522 Edge Street in Elizabeth City, where I was born. And, of course, um have very few memories of World War II. Of course, I was a baby. And, of course, uh, what I do remember, though, very vividly in my life, and I can reflect with full intensity and visualization, is when I entered into kindergarten in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, And I went to the St. Catherine's Catholic School's kindergarten, which was on South Martin Street in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. At that time, of course, the South was segregated. Um, That is separate of, but equal was the Jim Crow, was really the theme of the day. And also as a young African-American male born in a small southern city or town in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, which had a population in those days of about 12,000 people, also a center on the coast. Not too far from the Outer Banks of North Carolina. We were on the Pasquatank River, one of the main channels of the Intracoastal Waterway. And, of course, it was a military city uh, with regards to the U.S. Coast Guard Air Station and also the U.S. Navy had an air facility at Weeksville, North Carolina. And, of course, Elizabeth City also was a shipbuilding city. There was even a shipyard in Elizabeth City at that time It was rebuilding uh, Navy uh, ships, mainly mine sweepers, wooden ships, that would come in and be docked at Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Well, for me, I remember very vividly sitting in this classroom at St. Catherine's Catholic Kindergarten in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. St. Catherine's, by the way, was the African-American Catholic Church. There was another Catholic church in Elizabeth City called St. Elizabeth, which was for white parishioners, but of course, with segregation, even the churches were segregated. St. Catherine's Catholic Church on Martin Street in Elizabeth City, right down from the Gaiety Theater, where your grandfather eventually managed the theater and was a motion picture projectionist, was familiar neighborhood for me. At at this particular school, my first teachers were Catholic nuns, and of course, man, they were really strict. The discipline was incredible. But I remember so vividly and try to remember these lovely young ladies who were nuns in their Catholic uh, garb, that is, you know, their their, their their uniforms they were wearing, which always was kind of strange to me. They were so clean and so neat. The, uh, the white on their garments was just like it was just immaculate. But also they were very perfectionists, and they were really stern teachers at that time. And, of course, in the classroom were basically young African-American uh, uh, brothers and sisters and friends and colleagues of mine. At this stage of the game, I think I'm six years old or five years old at the St. Catherine's Catherine's Catholic School. One thing I will lay in for the foundations for my education is that these nuns really stress writing, uh, literature, and mathematical skills. And of course, while there at Catholic School at St. Catherine's, I spent one year there. And also, I remember a photograph that I wish I could find. It had a picture of my actual, all of us in school in this ca- classroom with the nuns, our teachers, standing in the background. I don't forget, or uh, uh, Mrs. Julia Hoffler, who was a professor at Elizabeth City State University, and Dr. Hoffler, who was the African-American uh, doctor, physician for the African-American community of Elizabeth City, had two children, um, Bill Hoffler And, um, gosh, Julia Hoffler, I believe they were also in my class. Never forget that. So a lot of the, you might would say, the upscale African-Americans in Elizabeth City sent their children to the St. Catharines Catholic School. Well, after spending a year there, my first grade was at P.W. Moore High School. And at P.W. Moore High School, and this I'm talking really roughly, Ruben, uh, Oh God, let's see in 1943, six, what's that, nineteen fifty? Well, roughly nineteen fifty, I start uh first grade at P.W. Moore High School in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. My first grade teacher's name was Mrs. S. E. Moton, and she was just absolutely incredible i never forget the classroom that we were in. It was an immaculate classroom, a lot of photographs and pictures on the wall, especially of African-American heroes. Of course, P.W. Moore was a uh, all African-American school. Again, I brought up the fact that we're in a racism that is a segregated, racist kind of environment. And African-American kids, we didn't really know any better. We just learned the way things are supposed to be. But Ms. Moton was a really incredible teacher and of course, continued a lot of the foundation that I was already gathered in at St. Catherine's Catholic School there in Elizabeth City. And of course, I never forget the uh, song we used to sing at the end of the day uh, before we went home. She taught us a song that went something like this Now the day is growing, long. now the day is growing over, night is falling near, shadows of the evening are coming close to us all of us, as we dear the day. That, it was something like that. Okay, but I never forget that song. It's first grader. So, Ruben, after first grade year with Mrs. S.C. Moten at P.W. Moore Elementary School, we graduated. And I never forget the day they passed out the report cards. And when I got my report card, it said that I had been promoted to the third grade. And I thought a mistake, because well, I thought I was going to be going to the second grade. And I never forget getting home and um, basically uh, showing my report card uh, to your grandmother, Mrs. Lily May Wright. Say, Mom, something is wrong. Uh, they said I'm I'm supposed to go to the third grade. I'm supposed to go to the second grade. So Mom picked up the telephone and called out to the school and uh, talked to the uh, principal at that time, Mr. E. A. Anderson, who was principal, and he said, "No, Mrs. Wright." It's correct. Your son has got social promotion. He doesn't need to go to the second grade. He already knows all the material. So we're going to put him on in the third grade and get him going earlier. So my third grade teacher was the principal's wife, Mrs. E.A. Anderson. And Mrs. Anderson, I never forget, boy, was a beautiful sister, very smart. And, of course, they all continued the the same efforts, man, of history, English, math, science courses uh, to us and of course, a real um, Mrs. Anderson, man, really talked about you know, her family. And of course, her husband was the principal of P.W. Moore Elementary School at the time, Mr. E.A. Anderson. Well, Reuben, after the third grade, which was right magnificent, i never forget. It was great, man. The next course was the fourth grade. And in the fourth grade, my fourth grade teacher was Mrs. Branch Newell. Mrs. Newell stressed writing. In fact, As fourth graders at P.W. Moore Elementary School in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, we had to write with fountain pens. And she really stressed cursive writing that has probably been kind of de-emphasized in schools in the year 2019. But in the early 1950s, cursive writing was really uh, just an important part of the learning process in elementary school. We all had to get an Estabrook fountain pen. It was a pretty, uh, not a very expensive fountain pen, but it was a very popular fountain pen called an Estabrook. Uh, what was so exciting about the Estabrook fountain pen that Mrs. Newell wanted all of us to get? And of course, our parents, you know, had to go downtown to the um, downtown the I think the stores sold it, as, you know, stores that stole, sold so stationery and all. But anyhow, um, this pen had an, uh, an, 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 an you could change the point that is, you could twist off the point. And uh, they had a general point that would could be twisted into the barrel of the fountain pen that would work for just about anybody. But Mrs. Newell wanted us to search for a pen, and I think they had about 30 different types that would write different shapes, you know, width of the uh, actual writing lines that came out of the flow of the ink of the pen, one that would best suit us. But we also had to have the general, I think it was like a 6228 number, something like that, as a general pen of the Esbrook pens. But the I remember so much the fourth grade was a class in which we really were stress writing skills. And of course, uh, Mrs. Newell used to always brag about, in fact, Mrs. Newell was the first teacher that I ever had who had taught my mother, your grandmother, Ms. Lily May Wright. And Mrs. Branch Newell used to always tell me about the beautiful cursive handwriting that my mother, your grandmother, Mrs. Lily May Wright, had. And eventually, I did see some letters that um, your mother had written to uh, your 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 grandfather. And meant her writing style was absolutely gorgeous, beautiful, and uh, it was passed down to me to through Mrs. Branch Newell. Well, after the fourth grade, I was uh, promoted to the fifth grade. And my fifth grade teacher was Mrs. Alice Morgan. Mrs. Morgan was um, a pretty, it was really big in the business and entrepreneurial side of life. And she owned a taxicab company there in Elizabeth City, which was African American owned. She also had a bus. She had a couple of big diesel powered buses that were basically used by the Trailway Corporation. They were her own buses. And uh, she and her husband used to take those buses and carry us on trips, like to Washington, D.C., or trips, field trips I had to go to, say, Norfolk, Virginia, or wherever, with Mrs. Alice Morgan's bus line. What was really fascinating about the fifth grade for me was President uh, Dwight David Eisenhower was elected president of the United States. And I never forget the day, Mrs. Um, Mrs. Um, uh, Morgan said she was going to take us out to her house to watch the inauguration of President Eisenhower on her television set. Uh, Mrs. Morgan uh, was one of the first African-American families in the city of Elizabeth City to have a TV set. And also our family, uh, your grandfather, Mr. Roosevelt R. Wright Sr., brought a General Electric 16-inch black-and-white TV set to our house, maybe about a a few months before we went out to see Mrs. Morgan's TV set. And, of course, there was only one TV station on the end. It was Channel 3, WTAR-TV, in Norfolk, Virginia. Well, Ruben, i never forget the day, man. Of uh, course, we had to walk. We walked from P.W. Moore uh, Elementary School and Junior-Senior High School all the way to her house, which was not too far, maybe about a half a mile or three-quarters of a mile. But, of course, showing you, here's all little African-American kids, we had to walk from the high school. We didn't have a bus or anything to take us, and she didn't want to put us in her car because there were too many of us. And I think the class was at least about 25 of us. So Mrs. Morgan had us all in the line, kept us together, and we walked from uh, P.W. Moore Elementary School to Southern Avenue to Mrs. Morgan's house. And Mrs. Morgan had a beautiful house there on Southern Avenue, and then got all of us piled into her living room, and we watched the inauguration of President Dwight David Eisenhower. Um, in later years, I was to find out that an African-American professor of mine at North Carolina Central University, Dr. Helen G. Edmonds, was the person that seconded the nomination of President Dwight David Eisenhower. And that's another story for later. But I found it as I learned more about, you know, just think about life and history, which I really love. Well, Rube, fifth grade, <clears throat> something happens. We had to basically leave P.W. Moore High School And go to another school, which was right across the street from the Elizabeth City State Teachers College, which is now Elizabeth City State University. It was called the training school. And, of course, eventually was named the H.L. Trigg School, named after Dr. Harold L. Trigg, who was a former president of Elizabeth City State and had been a major African-American educator on the state level, you know, based out of the education department in Raleigh, North Carolina. Well, we went to uh, the trade school for the sixth and seventh grade, and when we got to the uh, sixth grade, we had to leave P.W. Moore and we went to training school, which was just the other side of town, not that. F- in fact, it was not too far from Mrs. Alice Morgan's house on Southern Avenue, and of course went to training school. And Reuben, in my case, I just thought of this: we didn't have a bus to get; it. we had to walk to school. And of course, um, I know even your, your grandfather. I, know, I, I walked to school from Road Street. Out to um, the school, I went through the backyards of people's houses, or over the Southern Avenue, and walked to training school for the sixth grade. Well, my sixth grade teacher was Mrs. Pendergrass, beautiful lady, man, I never forget it. She's really absolutely a beautiful lady who also continued the educational thing of stressing English, math, history, science, and all. So after the Mrs. Pendergrass, my next teacher was Mrs. F. E. Butler. Mrs. Butcher, excuse me, Mrs. Butcher was her name. Her husband was a a teacher of industrial arts at uh, P.W. Moore High School. And of course, one of the big areas in those days was to teach young African-American males construction, you know, to get jobs as a, a bricklayer, electrician, building houses and all. And that curriculum did exist. Mrs. Butcher was a stern teacher, though, Ruben. I mean, really probably one of the first real disciplinarians that we had where you did not talk in her class you paid strict attention to her, but she was an incredible teacher. And, of course, I really appreciate Mrs. Butcher even to this day with the disciplinary side of it. I mean, you know, in those days, uh, we were all set there in straight order, man. It was up straight and narrow. So that was the year at uh, training school. But here's something that happened at training school. because course, the African-American schools, basically our resources were not that great. These are old buildings, but we kept them there. Our janitorial staff kept them clean and neat. And, of course, we always had our pictures neatly pressed on the bulletin boards of the classrooms. And, of course, never forget Mr. Will Allen was the principal of the uh, H.L. Trigg training school at that time. And I never forget the time we all gathered in the auditorium. They had an auditorium room that was kind of strange. They had an auditorium that served also as an auditorium, a classroom, and a gymnasium all together. And of course, the stage was really one of the hallways. And then, of course, they had um, auditorium. They would uh, set up the curtains and the stage for that. And if they want to play sports. They could put up the basketball nets and all that. So it also it also served as a cafeteria, also for us to eat at. <laughs> I never get one that we all gathered together, Mr. Allen. And this, and my love, of course, with your uh, grandfather being in the motion picture theater business, I already had an early love for. Audiovisual, and that is movies and stuff being shown in the classroom, Audiovisual visual education. Uh, when I was growing up over at P.W. Moore High School, they used to show movies and all. And I was always fascinated with the movie projector, and Wish I'd get a chance to learn how to run it or be that guy. But there were older guys who were the audio-visual guys of that era. But at training school, i never forget the day uh, we went to the auditorium, and there was a movie getting ready to be shown. And the name of the movie was called Banana Land. It was about bananas, man. And then they come on those big white ships from uh, South America into American ports. And the movie was in Technicolor. And the movie was shown. And after it was shown, uh, everybody else was going back to the class. I went over to talk to Mr. Allen, who was the principal. And he let me uh, show him how to all the projector and everything. So he liked it. I said, yes, sir. I'd love to do something like this. I said, well, it's available for you. Well, Ruben, a couple of days later, time came in on us. And guess what happened? The boiler blew up. The furnace, uh, which, you know, probably was an inferior furnace, uh, disappeared, and our school got cold, and we couldn't go to school at Treg School for about two weeks until they installed a new boiler, and we basically stayed home. But then we had to make up those days by going to school on Saturdays for the complete 180 days. That's when I was in the seventh grade at Treg in uh, Elizabeth City, North Carolina. This had to be like 1955, I think in that era, seventh grade. And of course, I never forget getting up on a Saturday morning uh, when normally we would be watching TV, uh, cartoons over WTR, or TV over our black and white TV set, a lot of other kids in the room. But we got up really at 8 o'clock. Mom would fix me breakfast, and I would have to walk out to the high school, out to trig, and we basically had classes on a Saturday. So you like to go to school on class, man, on a Saturday, huh? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't like it, huh? No. Nope. 8 o'clock in the morning until 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Because usually on a Saturday, a lot of us, by 2 or 3 o'clock, we went to the movies, the old guillotine theater, to see Western movies, which were really showed every Saturday afternoon, and a serial continue picture and all that kind of good stuff, too. Mm -hmm. Well, so we made up those dates, and of course, after uh, finishing up two years at uh, the H.L. Trigg School, or better known as the Training School, which is right across the campus from Elizabeth City State. One of the things also that was incredible for that particular opportunity for me is that I always looked across the street at the college, Elizabeth City uh, State Teachers College, uh, which was uh, for African Americans at that time. But to me, you know, look at that school, it was like probably some people look at Harvard or Yale, you know, some of the big universities, because to me it was really a, uh, it was really a big campus. Little did I know it was really a small campus at that time, but that was the impression that I had. And I was always fascinated by seeing the college students who were all usually dress in suit and ties and nights nice of wear. And they were older than I going to school there to get a degree. Well, we left our trick school and I went back to P.W. Moore High School to the eighth grade. And in the eighth grade, my eighth grade teacher was Miss Doris Perry. She was a brand new teacher who had just basically finished undergraduate school at Elizabeth City State. And she was my 8th grade teacher. What was fascinating about uh, Ms. Doris Perry was that she introduced us to, uh, you know, the other teachers were very good, but there was that level of conservatism. But all of a sudden I met a young African-American female teacher who was very smart, man. And, of course, she introduced us to all. She brought new things to the classroom, like field trips. Um, She really encouraged us to get involved in extracurricular activities. You know, like Suze joined the band, and I was indicated I was interested in the field of audiovisual. I said Roosevelt, you can set up an audiovisual club. <laughs> and so that kind of thing happened to me with Miss Doris Perry. One two one big day I'll never forget is that she planned a field trip for us because at that time television was brand spanking new. There was only one TV station. Eventually Channel 10 came on the air, W-A-V-Y in Norfolk, and then eventually W-V-E-C which was the ABC outlet at Channel 13. But we, she set up a field trip for us to go to the Television Radio Broadcast Center, which is on Bush Street in Norfolk, Virginia, which was the headquarters of WTAR-TV. Also, the Norfolk Ledger and Virginian Pilot newspaper was in this whole complex. But what was fascinating, then of course we got one of Mrs. Uh, Alice Morgan's bus. She had a bus line, it was my fifth grade teacher. And the buses are pretty nice, man. But a bus would carry, you know what, 50, 60 people. And of course, she chatted one of the buses. And on a, it was on a Sunday. We left Elizabeth City. In fact, we didn't go to church that day. And we had to kind of get an excuse from our churches. And all the kids got on the bus. And the bus ride was from Elizabeth City, North Carolina, to Norfolk, Virginia. And I can never forget that day we pulled up in front of the television station which I think is 780 Bush Street, I think is the address in Norfolk, Virginia. And here's this big TV radio broadcast complex. And as young African-American uh, kids, we got off the bus. And I look at the historical moment because we are dealing with a city that was very racist, man. I mean, and segregated, which was Norfolk, Virginia here. And it's roughly 1956. Well, anyhow, we get off the bus and a young lady meets us who was the tour guide for us that day. The young uh, white female, she probably was about maybe 21, 22, 23 years old herself, <laughs> and she met us, and we got off the bus, she escorted us into the TV station, and here is at least about 25 young African-American kids. We all dressed nice, too, you know, we all dress, going into this TV station, and we go into a conference room, and i never forget the conference room we went into, and there was the movie projectors and stuff up. And it was just a fascinating room, man. And then she introduced that we were at WTR-TV, radio and TV stations were there. And she gave us a tour of the facility. We looked at the studios, the control rooms for the television station, and also the control rooms for the radio station. And then we basically uh, had a chance to sit on the news set. And of course, uh, after that tour of the radio and television station, I think we were there for about a couple of hours. Then we got on the bus, and Miss Perry said, we're going to go over to uh, Church Street. And Church Street in Norfolk was really the African-American downtown. You know, where all the African-American businesses were located. And at that time, Church Street had been really put together for all the sailors, especially the African-American sailors, Marine Corps types, as a place they could go. But Church Street was this big, long street. And there were at least about seven movie theaters on, the, on this particular street, barbershops, shops, uh, drugstores, uh, nightclubs, everything, and the street was just packed with African Americans. And Miss Perry said, "Okay, we're gonna park the bus here, and all of you can go and uh, you know go to a movie or whatever you want to do, and we'll be back be back in about two. I think she said the bus is gonna leave in about three hours. So a typical movie runs two hours. So I'm walking down the street in all these different movie theaters, and I get to the Carver Theater. And on, that, on the screen that day at the Carver Theater was a movie with James Dean uh, and Natalie Wood, Rebel Without a Cause. In fact, I saw it the other night on on the uh, uh, TMC channel here on television, in Technicolor and Cinemascope. And we went, got popcorn, walked into the movie theater, and the movie was already on the screen. The theater was packed. And of course, having grown up in the movie theaters with your grandfather, this is a big African-American you know, theater in what I thought a big city. And it was my first time there, and it was an incredible experience. So after the movie was over, uh, they ran another movie, which was a double feature. And then we looked at the movie until it came to the part where we, you know, first came into the theater at the, at the Carver Theater named after Dr. George Washington Carver, the great scientist who was a professor at Tuskegee University. On the wall, by the way, was a big portrait of Dr. George Washington Carver, the Carver Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. So after then, when we came out, we had really about 15 minutes or 20 minutes to get to the bus, and we got back to the bus, which was parked right off of a parking lot off of Church Street in Norfolk, and it was nighttime, and the marquee lights were lit up, uh, the restaurants that they had, all African-American soul food restaurants were ch- packed with people eating. I never not forget sailors walking up and down the street with young ladies and all. It was just a magical moment, Church Street, Norfolk, Virginia. And then we got on the bus, and the bus took us back home to Elizabeth City and at the school where our parents were waiting for us, you know, to get us home on that Sunday evening. But that was the 8th grade for me. Then, of course, Ruben, after 8th grade, it's time to go to high school. In fact, we didn't call it junior high school then. We basically, uh, uh, it was junior high school, but we went right straight to the ninth grade, which was called, you know, in that case, high school. And that was ninth grade at P.W. Moore High School. We also had a changing of the principals also. Mr. E.A. Anderson, who had been my first principal at P.W. Moore, he retired. And then roughly about my eighth grade or going into high school, a new principal came who became a very influential uh, person in my life, Mr. Calvin Page. Uh, Mr. Page was a graduate of Morgan State uh, University, Morgan. He always talked about Morgan. But he became our principal. And of course, we're still in a segregated environment, you know, all African American high school. And uh, Mr. Page provided some pretty interesting leadership. And as I think more about his life here in the year 2019, he really was an exceptional principal and leader at P.W. Moore. My homeroom teacher uh, for the ninth grade was Mrs. Helen Saunders. Mrs. Saunders just died recently, but there was a Syracuse connection that I ran into when I came to Syracuse. Eventually, and it, God works in mysterious ways. Well, Miss Jean Phillips, who was the principal of Nottingham High School here in Syracuse, New York, was the niece of Mrs. Helen Saunders, my eighth—excuse me, my ninth grade and tenth grade homeroom teacher. Her area of interest in and major was English, and she put together a forensic society, and a, you know, a speaking a, a club of you know for English and communications and all. And then out of that club, something miraculous happened. Mr. Page came to me one day, and of course I was crazy. He put me in charge of all the audio, I became like the audio-visual guy showing all the movies. We had one Bell and Howell 16mm projector, a bunch of film strip projectors, we did have some tape recorders an 8 millimeter projector used to show movies. And that was by charge that Mr. Page put me in charge of to be the audiovisual guy. Of course, Mr. Helan Williams, who was a very dear friend of your father, they were like brothers, he was sort of head of the audiovisual uh, program. He had studied uh, physical education at North Carolina Central and, of course, always told me about the graduate program they had at North Carolina Central in media that I eventually went. It was back in the 1950s. Well, I so the ninth grade and tenth grade, Mrs. Helen Saunders was my homeroom teacher. But the point I'm making is, we got a, finally got some money. You know, the African American school never had any resources, but we got. Mr. Page came and told me. In fact, it was not Mr. Page. It was Mr. Anderson. In fact, hold it. Let me back up. But I'm just. Come back on memory here for you, Ruben, on your radio podcast this afternoon. It was Mr. Anderson, and that's when I was in the eighth grade. Mm -hmm. He came and indicated that he had gotten money for a public address system, a PA system, to be installed in our school at P.W. Moore. That is speakers in all of the classrooms, speakers in the auditorium, speakers in the gymnasium, and had ancillary auxiliary amplifiers to use in the auditorium and in the gym. And, of course, the main control audio board and uh, distribution was in his office. But I forget all of these um, installers came in from Raleigh, North Carolina, and they were all white, and they had their soldering irons, they had their step ladders, installing all the wiring and everything down the hallways. And it was really fascinating to me. But that system, which I'm indicating, that was installed in the 8th grade, the next year when I got into the ninth grade, uh, Mrs. Saunders put the Forensic Society together, which was really a a, a club of a speech mm-hmm. club. And uh, one of the first things we did, we put together a radio broadcast group uh, to do the morning announcements, which is very popular in any school, even to this very day. Where basically we would present, you know, the weather for the day, the lunch menu for the day, opening morning prayer, and also a thought of the day at the beginning from the principal's office. And that's when when Mrs. Saunders came to me. And of course, I'd already was crazy about radio broadcasting and all. And of course, there were local radio stations, WCNC and WGAI, that would come out to Peter Moore (laughs) High School to record our choir for Christmas and Thanksgiving broadcasts to be over the radio station. Mm -hmm. And I would be there to assist the radio broadcast guys that came out from the station. So that was my uh, eighth grade, excuse me, ninth and tenth grade with Mrs. Helen Saunders. And then finally, my first male teacher, or that is for leader, was uh, Reverend Bonds, who came in as my homeroom teacher in the 11th grade. And of course, the 11th grade, we continued with our basic high school curriculum, you know, of algebra, English, uh, science, chemistry, mathematics, and all. But I never forget what I really learned about the inequities of um, especially equipment and resources in an African-American school. It happened to me, I remember in my sophomore year, we had a mandatory film that the North Carolina uh, Department of Education said that all students had to watch. And it was a movie about uh, careers and hygiene, you know, things that kids are supposed to learn about. Mm-hmm. And the movie was mandatory. So Mr. Page told me with the mandatory showing and the whole student body would come to the uh, P.W. Moore Auditorium. And the auditorium, I would set. I set the projector up that day. We had a this Bellenhauer movie projector. Had a screen up on the stage, which was already permanently installed. You know, like a a screen of rollers. And you know, I took a little thing and pulled it down. Then brought the curtains in, set the it in. Pretty big screen on the stage, and I set the projector was set up halfway down the center aisle. It was a center aisle type auditorium. On a on a, on the projector cart, set the projector up, ready to go. Everybody piles into the auditorium to see the movie. I thread the projector up, and the film, it was a two-reeler. So I think it had a, a I think a two-reeler, I think we had about a running, I think the whole thing was about an hour long on two reels of film. And I got the projector going. It started, and basically right into it, room the projector died. <laughs> the motor on the machine, a smoke came out of it. Mm-hmm. And I cut it off real quick, and everybody's sitting there. And Mr. Page came and said, Mr. Page, I think we got a problem. The projector motor here just died on us. And he said, Sonny, um, wait, just wait. And so he got the, uh, our, our music teacher was there and told her to come up. And she came up to the piano. And Mr. Page said uh, "Told them, teach the kids the school song. Let them sing the school song and some songs. I'm going to go over to the uh, white school, which is the Elizabeth City High School. See the audio visual director and get one of their projectors. It was a mandatory film, so the film had to be shown. So Mr. Page told me just stand by, and I'm gonna go over and get a projector from the uh, white school. So Mr. Page went over, and he was back with them about a half hour. And this is when I realized that you know I thought the projector that we had was really the best. You know, it was a, it was a good. A, it was a very good movie projector, but it was a cheap model. Mm-hmm. It was a Bell and Hall, I think a 180. Bell and think it was a 185, which one of the cheaper models. The projector Mr. Page brought up was the best model of the Bell and High, the latest. It was heavier. The speaker was bigger. The speaker had an auxiliary power amp. And so we, I had already taken the other projector down, but I set this new projector up. Brand spanking new Bell and Howell projector. Ruben, I thread that projector up and, and, and hit the audio. The old amplifier in the old projector had to run the vibe control wide open just to get enough audio for it to be heard, Not with this projector. I just basically turned the volume up. the, the audio was like boom. I said, "Wow, It was even brighter, had a stronger uh, you know lamp. And it was a quieter projector. I said, "My God, this is a beautiful machine." But then that's when I realized that this was the, for the white schools, they would get the best you know stuff to get the first edition books better equipment and everything. And that was my first time realizing that it was a real difference in the resource between white and uh, African-American schools, high schools in North Carolina. Well, let me roll into my senior year, Ruben. Senior year is there and uh, graduation time is on its way. Prom time is getting ready to happen. But at high school senior day, um, and this was really roughly 19... Fifty nine, nineteen sixty. Um, in fact, it was the spring of nineteen sixty. We had high school senior day at Elizabeth City State University, and I went out to the university. and They had a brand new president who had just taken over about a couple of years earlier, and his name was Doctor Walter N. Ridley. And Doctor Ridley became one of my greatest role models, along with Mister uh, Mister Page, and also I will have to give you the story about Mister. Dr. W.H. Jones, Jr., who was a principal of Pastain County Elementary School, also was a very incredible, influential leader and mentor for me. But at the time, I was already thinking about colleges, you know, where would I go to school? And, of course, I never forget uh, getting a brochure from North Carolina Central University. I had written colleges, you know, that we were encouraged. That is our, our homeroom teacher would talk about college and how you could write to colleges and mission department. And they would send you their materials. I never forget the packet I got from North Carolina Central, which was North Carolina College at Durham at that time. And they had a booklet called Careers. And it's like God had, must have written this for me because I looked through this thing on careers. I came across a career called an audiovisual director. Mm-hmm. And they had these photographs of, an, of the audiovisual program. Career's audiovisual director, and they had a young man who had became a very close friend later years, named Mr. Christopher Reynolds. He was director of the audiovisual center at Knoxville College in Knoxville, Tennessee, and there he was uh, with some students around a sixteen-millimeter movie projector, the photograph. And of course, there were other careers, and what North Carolina Central, North Carolina College, did the graduates of the school who were in these different careers, they actually had a photograph of them in the actual working. Location if somebody was working say at Bell labs or working as a chemist or working in a hospital They actually had them in that environment. Well done booklet. And then of course there were photographs of showing the audio Studios at North Carolina Central. There were some pictures of kids shooting a movie. Uh, there was another photograph of uh, movies being shown uh, Just pictures of the whole audiovisual center and there was a professor James E. Parker who was the director I said, oh, my God, there's a program like that at North Carolina College. That was in the back of my mind as I was looking at, you know, trying, looking at where I would go to school. Then, of course, I got materials from Morehouse College, which is Atlanta, Georgia. And, in fact, that's the school where just last week all the students who graduated from Morehouse, uh, the speaker, um, Mr. Lewis, Bayon, an African-American brother, told him that he would take care of their, all their tuition. They had no more student loans. Well, Morehouse, where Dr. King also went to school, They sent me an application package, and I filled that out. Well, I went to the uh, high school senior day at uh, Elizabeth City State University that day, and Dr. Ridley got up to address us. High school senior day that day, the participants were basically African-American students from high schools all over eastern North Carolina, Hertford, Edington. Even some students from Norfolk, Virginia came down, Uh, Williamson, North Carolina, Plymouth, all the cities in the area, in that northeastern section of North Carolina came. We got on a bus that day at at uh, P.W. Moore High School, school bus that is, that the students used to come up, you know, to go to school on, took us to Elizabeth City State. And I never forget finally coming on the campus that day of the school that I was always looking at through the window when I was at training school for my uh, sixth and seventh grade. And I was finally there. And we got off the bus that day right behind Bias Hall, which was a big uh, dormitory uh, for freshman young ladies and all these beautiful college students walking around. The place was just buzzing with activity. And there was a young man, probably a senior at uh, Elizabeth City State who met us at the door of the bus. And he got off, he was our guide. And he welcomed us to Elizabeth City State Teachers College is what it was called at that time. And we all walked over to the gymnasium uh, and the gymnasium had been set up as an auditorium. It was a gymtorium. It was also a gymnasium and an auditorium. It was set up as an auditorium. That they could handle all the students. Folding chairs all out. Stage was set up. And we're all sitting there. And then the uh, director of admissions gets up and talks to us. And then introduces the president of the college, Dr. Walter N. Ridley. Dr. Ridley gave one of the most inspiring speeches I've ever heard in my life from the standpoint of African-American young kids for us to stand tall, to be somebody and get a college education and to come to Elizabeth City State University is what his uh, message was that day. While he was talking, Ruben, guess what he said? Yeah. He said, also to um, increase our efforts in audio-visual education, I purchased a thirty, the whole complete 35-millimeter motion picture projection system from a theater called the Jefferson Theater in Newport News, Virginia, that had just closed down. Uh, Dr. Ridley's family was a very wealthy family. They had a bank called the Crown Savings Bank over in uh, Newport News, Virginia. You remember this time? we were at the NNOA convention in Norfolk, and Congressman Bobby Scott came up, mm-hmm. and we were talking about he was from Newport News. I mentioned the Ridleys, and he said he was an intern at the bank when he was a kid growing up. That was a fascinating moment. Well, anyway, Dr. Ridley said they were put, and at that time, I was also working with your grandfather and also with the Virginia Carolina Music Company in the Gaiante Theater and also crazy about what? Audio visual. I've been mean, showing all the movies and all the audio gear at P.W. High School. And he said they were putting this system in. And I said, oh my God, I gotta, I can't, I'd love to meet him. So after it was over, all of us walked out. We were showed some classrooms around the campus. We saw college students walking back and forth. Then we went out to the student union, which is called the Pirate's Den. They eventually called it the Lighthouse. And I'm there. And then it was time to go back roughly about 2 o'clock, 2.30 in the afternoon. And I went to Mr. Williams and a couple of my teachers and said, I'd like to stay behind see if I can meet Dr. Ridley, and I'll get away home. Because, you know, it was right then, Elizabeth, soon. I knew my way around the town. Mm-hmm. And so they said, yes, Ruth, you want to try? I want to see if I can try to meet the president. So that is a very good move, and we'll see. You'll be Okay. So I went back to the uh, student union. I was in there watching all these college students. The music was playing. They were playing cards. Some were back in the corner reading books off of bookshelves. And they were ordering hot dogs and hamburgers and all. But it was a very lively. It was that student union building. So I said, oh, my God, I'd love to meet the presidents. I got up. And it had to be roughly about 3.30 in the afternoon. I walk out of the lighthouse at Elizabeth City State University. And there's a whole quad area Bias hall to the left. Butler Hall, the men's dorm is over to the uh, right. Way out is S.D. Williams Gymnasium, where it had our meeting that morning. And who's walking down the walkway? Dr. Walter N. Ridley. And Dr. Ridley is walking down the walkway. And I walk up to him and say, Dr. Ridley, a pleasure to meet you. I said, my name is Roosevelt Wright Jr. I'm a senior at P.W. Moore High School. And I was really interested, your, your speech was awesome. He said, I understand y'all, you're installing a 35 millimeter motion picture projection system. And he said, what's your name again? I said, my name is Roosevelt Wright. Say, isn't your father the manager of the movie theater? I heard about your father. I said, that's my dad. Say, young man, come with me. And we went to his office. And when we got to his office, he basically got there and asked Mrs. Newby, who was his secretary, um, 'Cause he had the keys to the storage room. And they were renovating Moorhall ordered, the Moor Hall administration building at that time, the auditorium and everything. And he told me that efforts were always on, on the underwind. and so they are me to rebuild the projection booth and all. So I went to this room, he opened it up, and in the room was all the projection equipment. Audio amplifiers, the generator, everything. Looks like the guys had basically uh, the Elizabeth City State Dog. Uh, you know, guys who worked in their maintenance department, went and got all the stuff, put it on the truck, cleaned the booth out, just cut wires, then brought and put it in this uh, room. And I was pointing out stuff. And then Dr. Really said, oh, my God, let me show you the projection booth. So we went over and the contractors who were, you know, getting ready to build a new projection room didn't have an idea what it was supposed to look like. And I started talking to them so the contractor said, hey, could you draw rough plans for us? And Dr. Really said, "He certainly can. So I drew up the rough plans for the projection booth that was built at Elizabeth City State. And I was a senior in high school that gave me, guess what, $50. And an article appeared in the, in the Daily Advance newspaper. Well, anyway, out of that, and I ended up installing the equipment as a senior at P.W. Moore High School. Got the equipment installed. And the first movie I showed was a movie called Cat on a Hot Tin Roof with Elizabeth Taylor and Paul Newman. The place was packed. But out of that, I ended up getting a four-year scholarship to Elizabeth City State University. And, of course, uh, that began the beginnings of my college experience. I'll stop at this moment if you got any questions, or no. we could stop. And um, if you want to get it and wait for the next episode, or what would you like to do at this moment?
0: It's up to you, 45 minutes, so if you want
1: to... Oh, we still got some more time. How much time we got, we got remaining?
0: Like 10, 15 minutes. 10, or
1: 15 minutes. Okay, well, what I will indicate then is uh, what happened at that point. Because I still, I can finish up high school. Okay, I hadn't graduated yet. But um, what happened, i never forget, uh, Dr. Ridley met Dad, your grandfather, and he told your grandfather said, Mr. Wright, you're going to pay in the tuition for Roosevelt Jr. He's got, I'm going to award him a four-year scholarship to attend Elizabeth City State University. And I became the audiovisual uh, guy at Elizabeth City and, of course, showed all the movies. We had a weekly movie thing uh, showing the latest uh, big movies, you know, from the theater that was being shown. And of course, we're still in a segregated environment. In Elizabeth City at the time, what really was incredible, we had the only movie theater that was available to African-Americans was an old African-American theater called The Gaiety, but all the other movie theaters, all white, and they didn't even have any colored entrance where in most theaters, you know, Blackfoot would sit in the balcony. And of course, the new movie opportunities, at, I call it the college theater, which was in the... Um, uh, Moore Hall Auditorium at Elizabeth City State because they didn't run the movies on the weekends. They didn't want to give competition to the Guilty Theater. The movies were shown uh, during the middle of the week. We used to call it movie night At the uh, Moore Hall Auditorium. We got the best, you know, best movies we could get at the time, 35 millimeter types Well, Rube, anyhow, uh, I get back to uh, P.W. Moore There's an interesting story about a prom that I had to go to and that I did go to, but I won't I'll bring it up at another time. We talk about relationships and people you meet in life. A wonderful thing did happen, though, and I'll give that story later. But graduation comes, is coming up at P.W. Moore, and I finished in the class of 1960 at P.W. Moore High School. And of course, I never forget I got a letter in the mail, Reuben, from Morehouse College. And Morehouse College had offered me, guess what? A scholarship to go to Morehouse in Atlanta and, of course, I had already made the major connection with uh, Elizabeth City State. But then, I never forget our our last, uh, that is, uh, assembly. When everybody gets together, I'm a senior. And, in fact, it was at that particular um, assembly where they announced all the seniors. And I couldn't find out I, was a high, I had gotten the highest average of my senior class of the males. Of course, there were nine or ten other young ladies in front of me. I think I was like... 10th overall on a class of about 180 students that graduated that year. But also they indicated all the uh, class had met, and the superlatives is who's most best looking, best dancer and all that. But yours truly, your father was, uh, I was uh, basically elect- selected to be the person most likely to succeed, along with another young lady named Miss Edith Griffin. I don't know what happened to Edith in life. I don't know if she's still alive, but if she is, God bless her soul. And, also, he started announcing scholarships, and he said that Roosevelt Wright Jr. had received a scholarship to Mulhouse College, but uh, he's going to accept scholarship to Elizabeth City State University, and that was when I graduated. And i never forget the night of my uh, the baccalaureate ceremonies and graduation. Uh, I'm walking down the aisles in my cap and gown, and guess who was standing by the door mm. with a big smile on the face? She surprised me your grandmother's sister, your great aunt, who I wish was alive today cuz she would enjoy this, was your aunt, your your great aunt Louise Lassiter, who was your grandmother Miss Lily May Wright's sister. She lived in New York City and she became really successful in New York and she had come down for my high school graduation. And she was there before your grandmother was there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then everybody had a room where all the graduation gifts, and I went into this room and all these gifts were in there. Most of them were from your Aunt Louise that she had brought down from New York. So I graduated from P.W. Moore High School and now I'm getting ready to go to Elizabeth City State. When I finished high school, Ruben, and I, as we get down to closing this out, for an African-American student graduating from high school, in the year 1960 in the South, there were only three options that were really on the table. Option one was many of the students, my colleagues, and a lot I never seen, never saw again, but I've heard about them over the years. They went down to a segregated bus station downtown to the colored section and got on buses to leave, to head to points north, basically northern cities. And, of course, the later years, I ended up living in Trenton, New Jersey. I found Trenton was a spot where a lot of my classmates went, Washington, D.C. A lot of them went to New York City to go to Brooklyn and Harlem and also Philadelphia, but northern cities. The second option was to join the military. Most of the guys in my class of 1960 at Peter B. Moore High School joined the United States Air Force. The U.S. Air Force at that time offered probably the best opportunities for Young African Americans, of course the Navy, a service that I really eventually love, and a man there and you know becoming a captain, and basically, most of the young African Americans who joined the Navy even then were messmen and cooks. Of course, the Navy was opening up its general service ranks ratings that is for young African Americans who scored high on their tests to become electricians and quartermasters and storekeepers and others and of course, the third option was to go to college. And basically, the, the, the college option was historical African-American schools like Hampton, Norfolk State, Elizabeth City State, North Carolina Central. And a lot of the students from Elizabeth City also went to A&T, State University at Greensboro. But that was the option. Those were the three only options we had. Very few of the students stayed home because there was no job opportunities there. And the opportunities that were available were really menial in, in, in title. Mm-hmm. And of course, with a high school diploma, you want to try to get something else going. So anyhow, I go f- to Elizabeth City State University, and I started Elizabeth City State September of 1960. And of course, while at Elizabeth City State, I immediately, we didn't have an audiovisual center director uh, at that time. The audiovisual center didn't have a director. Dr. Uh, Ridley was looking to get someone to hand it up. In the meantime, I was the audiovisual guy, showing all the movies, handling all the audio gear, setting up the microphones for basketball games, football games. I was filming football games and, of course, showing all the movies. And, of course, our 35-millimeter projection system with our big theatrical showings at Moore Hall. We feel like our 16-millimeter projectors are to show movies all over campus. It's what I was basically doing. But I will say this. um, That was my uh, first semester as a freshman at Elizabeth City State University. But coming up my uh, second um, semester, something magical happened. Dr. Ridley called me one day and said, Roosevelt, I've found a director for the Audiovisual Center. And this director was a brand new young man who had just fin- was finished up his Ph.D. at the Ohio State University. And his name was Dr. M. Milford Codwell. And Dr. Codwell came in in my spring semester of my freshman year. And Reuben, this guy was incredible. And in fact, for your dad and for this audience that's listening to this, Dr. Codwell was roughly probably about 31 years old. He had gotten his doctoral degree in 1959 from uh, the Ohio State University. And of course, this was, he was, you know, this is, I think, one of his first teaching jobs. So he shows up at Elizabeth City State University. But Dr. Codwell was a graduate of South Carolina State, bachelor's and master's degree, PhD from the Ohio State University. He was a younger professor. And the other thing that blew my mind, he was a reserve, he was an Air Force officer. He was a lieutenant colonel in the United States Air Force and a pilot and all. And man, he was just an exciting guy. He brought a whole nother kind of new kind of a revolutionary dimension to me that you know, you could be, uh, most of the professors I met were kind of conservative, you know, and but he was smooth. I mean, he was very smart. Uh, he was young thinking. Um. Of course, he was a member of the Omega Sci-Fi fraternity that I eventually joined and uh, got initiated into. But he really introduced me to education and, and, and of course, the field of audiovisual I was crazy about. He was also telling me Ohio State had a big program with uh, Dr. Edgar Dale and all. But my entry to Dr. L. Milford Codwell, even to this very day, and he uh, some he died a number of years ago, unfortunately, but he was really an incredible role model for me as a younger African-American male professor, Ph.D., and also lieutenant colonel in the United States Air Force. And uh, he just kind of opened up the ranks big time, showing that I could have a future in this era of education mm-hmm. and making it. And that was my uh, freshman year getting things rolling at Elizabeth City State University. And I tell you what I'll do. We'll stop here and then maybe our next, ep- not maybe, we will in our next episode talk about my years at Elizabeth City State University, and then how I got into graduate studies, my master's degree at North Carolina Central University. Episodes coming up because we still have a bunch of episodes to cover this educational journey of yours truly, your father, and life. Also, hopefully I've given you some info and data here and your podcast and your research that you're doing on your father.
0: Absolutely, and uh, we look forward to... uh... Uh, next week when we continue the uh the the talk about your life and get into that uh that college experience. And thank you uh as always for joining us. Uh thank you for, for being a guest and, and and providing us with wonderful insight. Uh he has been our guest, the Dr. Roosevelt Rick Wright, uh Captain US Navy, uh PhD Syracuse, uh and, and a lot to to hear, especially you know the the eventual to get to the PhD, but of of course uh graduating from Elizabeth City State. I know the story, two more colleges or three more colleges as well, but we'll get to that story. But thank you for uh for joining us as always, and uh thank you for your continued contributions.
1: And thank again, Rube, for inviting me and to be a big part of your broadcast here and looking at the anthology of my life.
0: Absolutely, and uh, I've been your host, Ruben Wright, and we we look forward to to joining us uh, next week. Uh, Thank you very much.